0: All right, welcome to episode 12 of the Invictus podcast. Um, Today we have a special guest, um, Dr. Dan Kirkbride. Uh, Dan, tell uh, tell our audience a little bit about yourself. Um, Awesome, thank
1: you for the introduction. Um, Yeah, so I'm an osteopath and strength coach in Melbourne. Met Craig probably, what, four years ago, five years ago now. Um, We both did an FMA course together, um, which was awesome. Um, so, yeah, pretty much finished up a few years ago uni studying and then opened up my own studio, been practicing as an osteopath for about 18 months now. Um, and prior to that, been a coach for about six, seven years. So, yeah, pretty much just look at how to integrate like strength and conditioning with rehab and um, merge all that together.
0: So... Um... For our audience, we sort of got Dan on today to talk about a whole bunch of different things around training, rehab, and bridging that gap. Um, how did you get into osteopathy, Dan?
1: Um, so, ironically, I originally wanted to be a physio, but I was no good at school. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, I found out uh, I wanted to be an engineer until about year 11, because my dad was an engineer, and then I realized um, I hated like, sitting at a desk, I hated indoors, I hated masks, everything about it, so uh, I liked sport, wanted to be physio, realised the score was like 98, there was no chance I was going to get that, because I was not really a smart kid, and then, um, yeah, my careers coordinator told me to try osteo, so I tried it, and yeah, pretty much just was being a PT, training, playing pretty high level sport at the time uh, while I was studying, it wasn't until like third year uni that I actually saw an osteo and figured out what it was, and then I pretty much coincided with doing FMA, so um, started to go really deep into, you know, exercise, rehab and training get conditioning. Just, like, a lot of personal development. Spent a lot of money and a lot of time investing
2: in... You know. So, wait, wait. You you were doing your, your osteo stuff at uni, but you'd never yeah. seen an osteo. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but okay. you, know, you know
0: what? How many how many coaches are there, though, but are the exact same? Like, they've become a personal oh, trainer, but they've yes. never seen a, a any sort of coach before. We've
2: had a countless amount of people come in and do their time to do, you know, for their course. And we're we'll saying, what type of training are you into? And they're like, uh, yeah, I don't train. And you're just like, excuse That's me? Fun, excuse, <laughs> yeah, yeah excuse, pretty much. Excuse me? What? Oh, I guess, like...
1: I hadn't seen an osteo, but like I spent a lot of my time through like 14 to now, like seeing heaps of physios because I had a few knee injuries. So I'd seen physios throughout um, high school and then throughout my early years of uni, just for a knee injury and a few other bits and pieces, but I'd never seen an osteo. So, like, to me, I was like, oh, what is the difference? They must feel the same. So, like, <laughs> the thing I hate people telling me now. Um, and then I got to like third year and I was like, oh, I should probably start doing some work experience, like in terms of job prospects and stuff. So. It wasn't until third year where I was like, oh, shit, I'm kind of stuck here now. I'm not going to transfer into physio anymore, so um, I better actually get good at it and pay attention to figure out what's going on. Yeah. So
2: are you glad that you stayed with it?
1: Oh, yeah. Like, my initial plan was I'll do, physio, I'll do osteo for a year, and then I'll transfer into physio, and then, yeah, like, pretty much halfway through first year, like, obviously made friends and, like, got comfortable, didn't really want to switch and change it up, but also, like, from the principal's point of view, I was like, oh, this, like, makes lots of sense. It really aligns with my idea, like ideology of you know, how things should be, like everything's connected, everything's a unit, the body's holistic, like it just made a lot of sense. So I was like, yeah, I'll just write it out, see how it goes. But I guess first to third year of uni, like osteo-chiro is very similar, like it's all just bio, cam, like all the physiology side of things. So it didn't really differentiate until third, fourth year. So at that point in time, I was like, well, it all seemed the same. So I didn't really change anything for, for the sake of
0: it. Yeah. I guess one of one of the big things for you that separates you from a lot of physios, osteos, um, and those sort of providers is the fact that you are a, a fairly well-established strength coach or personal trainer, whatever title we want to put to it. As well as as well as the fact that you've you know you've been coaching and doing your treatment, you've also gone off and done a, a heap of personal de- development from you know like Jamie Smith, FMA, like. What else? You've done stacks. You're always, every time I'm on Instagram, you're doing a different course.
1: <laughs> yeah, I feel like that. It uh, explains where all the money's gone. <laughs> <laughs> my mum was talking to me the other day and she's like, I don't understand that. How have you not got more savings and stuff? I'm like, oh, yeah, look, I don't know. And then I went on to my, I wrote down like a list of all my courses and the
0: stuff I'd done and I was like, holy shit, yeah. There's cool. a lot of courses. Like we did, what did we do? We did um, like obviously FMA and then you did the NLP as well, didn't you? A little yeah. bit after me, Nick and Matteo.
1: I put a list up on my website of like qualifications when I was building out my new one. And it's yeah, pretty much um, Woodford Sports Science internship, um, FMA, NLP, did foundations for muscle nerds, some stuff with John Sharp, um, so Jacob Harden, who's a chiro in America, I did some stuff with him, Stephanie Cohen, Andrew Locke, Sebastian Orbe, Jamie Smith, Luke Tullock, Jordan Shallow, Perry Nicholson, stop chasing pain. Roden Dubois, Natural <laughs> Restoration
0: Institute, SFMA, yeah. FMA. <laughs> <laughs> it just keeps going, doesn't it? Yeah, that's
1: that's the. But idea. that's the beauty.
0: That's what it should be. Like just continue, continue learning. Like there's 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 no end point of going oh like I've like I, I feel like so many people in the, in any world, but especially in um, healthcare providers like physios and osteos and chiros and stuff like they've they've done their their degree and it's like okay. Mm-hmm. Like I know everything.
3: Yeah, for sure. I think it's yeah, coaches,
1: is everyone in general. Coaches, coaches definitely do it. do it. Yeah, it's, it's, it's huge. And, like do a course and then they yeah, I know everything. But no, no, I get bored easy, so it's kind of a good. It's like I don't think it sounds like I'm a tough person who goes and seeks out lots of information, but like I don't really think I'm that good. I think I just get bored and I have ADHD, so I just go and learn new shit. <laughs> <students. laughs> well, it's interesting yeah. that you
2: said that when you were at school that you weren't a very good student and you weren't going to get scores to do what you wanted to do, and now you're seeking out more education. Yeah, it's true, actually.
3: I guess what...
1: It's horrible. Like, I I guess that comes across a little bit like I was a horrible student. Like, I was still... I got, like, a decent score, and I I did apply myself in year 11, year 12, but, like, at the same time, my priorities were more, like... I was a bit dickhead, like, focused on having fun, being popular, like you know, hanging out, drinking stuff like that. So I still, like, I think I've, I've merged them well together so to the point that I still got, like, I think an 80 score, which got me into osteo. It wasn't like I was a big head like, no score and stuff. But at the same time, I just knew that, like, it wasn't a priority. It was more, like, place for, you know,
3: drink. It was. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah.
1: Yeah, I think the difference is, though, like, when I was seeing you find something that you're passionate about and interested in, it was a lot easier to... Because, like, I remember doing biology and chemistry in year 11 and I, like, flunked it. Like I got like eight percent on an exam, and I was just like, it's just stupid." Like, what do I want to learn about plants? What What does biology matter? And then you now, you know, biology, physiology, neuroscience, all that stuff is probably my favorite thing in the world. And I'm like, "Oh, cells."
0: Hundred percent. It's weird because like it just when when you're passionate about something, it's it's exciting to learn. But I guess like school school, you don't know you don't know who you are yet. You don't know what you want to do. You haven't really found. Not many people, at least, have found what their passion is and what they want to do for the rest of their life. So. I think that's where it's at. Um, now, I guess going into the, the main conversation we want to have today is around, for, for, for me at least anyway, how you can give advice to help any of our listeners. We've got a lot of our members who listen. Um, and I think one of the things in the rehab training space, like a lot of people just used to go to osteos, physios, chiros whenever they were in pain and people who don't train regularly they still do that like we see people come in all the time to see like our myotherapists here who don't do any sort of exercise intervention but they'll come in get treatment when their shoulder hurts when their back hurts and then we see them come back in again in you know four weeks that sort of thing um
2: and our myos are good they do refer out yeah and they do uh, Prescribe ex- 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 exercises and all that kind of stuff. They don't just say, "I'll see you in four weeks." Yes, yeah. but
0: um, what what would you say is for people listening who are in that mindset? Like, what's what's the problem with that? What's like, p- are people just completely wasting their time just getting a a, a treatment once a month just because they got a bit of chronic pain, but not seeking any exercise intervention? What's your thoughts on this? It uh, depends.
1: <coughs> To um, no I mean it depends on what the outcome is as well like it's, when it comes to musculoskeletal based stuff like I feel like it's very different to say people who have medical conditions or like chronic pain or like you know in those, in certain scenarios where the outcome is like treatment is, is basically an adjunct to just keep symptoms at bay or keep someone's quality of life high then I find like there's no issues with like someone getting regular treatment but then when it comes to say more performance based outcomes or like skeletal based things that can be more manipulated, um, no pun intended, <laughs> uh, I would say then, yeah, you want to make sure it's kind of tied up with some sort of consistent training or regime, otherwise I feel like it's basically just bouncing between point A and point B and never really reaching point C, so I guess the example would be like, you know, if someone was to come see me who's got a shoulder pain, you know, they're bench pressing their bodybuilder or whatever, it's like... If they don't Like they can come see me I can make them feel good Do some treatment and it's like Pretty much all I'm doing Is just giving them Symptomatic relief And short term outcomes So they can go keep training Which is cool And if that's what They want to do forever That's cool But it's not just The fact of pain It's also the fact Of performance too It's like well Technically they're out of pain But they are they really Training at the true intensity True output That they could then Get better results So therefore If the goal is performance Then technically I'd say it's not the best Way to go about it uh, Because You know It's not just about pain free, it's about optimizing performance. So, that's the biggest thing I see people with. They're like, they come in, they're like, oh, my shoulder's in pain, I need treatment, it's very reactive. But then they don't think about, like, well, you know, am I actually achieving the best I can get out of my training um, the other 30 days that I don't see me? But then on the flip side, you've got, like, say, chronic pain and medical conditions and stuff like that. Where it's like, if someone's got, um, you know, some sort of medical condition where it's like, I can't reverse a medical condition. But my treatment can help with that person's quality of life. Well, my treatment's never going to solve the problem. Yeah, I mean it's a waste of time. No, but if it means that, like you know, this sixty-year-old lady who you know can't walk two hundred meters without her, you know, without numbness down her leg, and she has to come see me every four weeks just so she can go to her groceries, and like, awesome. It's like different sort of yeah people. If it's gym population, then yeah, obviously I'd say probably not the ideal way to
3: go about it being reactive because you're not really
0: getting the most out performance absolutely and then i guess um, on the other side of it you've got the other camp right now but you've got people starting to say that it should just be all exercise intervention the manual therapy is outdated and doesn't do anything and phone rolling's a waste of time and yada 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 um what's your thoughts on that side of things uh, Um, you can go down, yeah, share screen at the bottom of the Zoom, if you, if you hit that.
1: This is, this is pretty much my view on how things work. Yep. So, like, in in terms of, like, this is where someone comes in, say they're in pain or they've got some sort of dysfunction, it's like, obviously the goal is to, first of all, get them out of pain, but then second of all, take them to performance, which is their outcome. So it's like, obviously more gym specific to your members and like, just people that we work with. But, like, the first component on there is desensitization, which means, like, pain relief. If you don't get that step, then, like, you're really limiting your ability to do the rest of the steps, which is going to lead to performance. So, it's like, as much as people go on about, like, I don't really agree with the whole, I don't know, the whole model of, like, manual therapy doesn't work, manual therapy is a crock of shit, and it should also all be exercised. Like, I think exercise is definitely, if you think about it from a dual point of view, it's like you're pretty much hybridizing exercise and, uh, manual therapy and understanding what each of them are doing and what each of them aren't doing. The reason people hate manual therapy is because there's people that say manual therapy is going to cure cancer essentially and <laughs> essentially it's like manual therapy is a tool in the toolbox to use on the right person at the right time in the right dosage Yeah. Uh, same way as exercise. It's like exercise is pretty much taking people through these more active things where it's like you're trying to improve someone's range of motion, you're trying to improve someone's ability to express movement and you're trying to improve someone's ability to obviously perform and do a lift But it's like, if someone's in pain or someone comes and sees me and they're like, mate, my fucking, well, sorry. (laughs) Swear away, dude. Swear away. (laughs) My shoulder's like, my shoulder's so fucked, like I can't train or whatever. It's like, yeah, like I could just be like, oh, manual therapy, shit, just go do these exercises. It's like, if he's in so much pain right now and his range of motion's not there, it's like, well, I can't really push him along this continuum of like, he hasn't got the flexibility, therefore he's not going to have the mobility to access that range of motion.
0: Yeah, that makes lots of sense. I can't stabilise, I can't strengthen. I can't do all the things the exercise is pretty much there for. Yeah. It's
1: like, well, if there was a way that I could fix that in ten minutes instead of two weeks, so that he can go do the thing that's gonna fix him, does that not work better than me being like man therapy shit, my ego's yeah. too big to accept that? Uh, not mentioning names of certain therapists, and then essentially it's like they just give him exercises. It's it's like, Well, your exercise isn't really gonna have an effect because they can't actually do it to the intensity or the you know, the way that you like them to do it because it's super painful. Or, or,
2: my, or maybe they we were doing the exercise wrong in the first place, which makes them not be able to do it either. Yeah.
1: So what so. use, like, stage one is, you know, desensitization flexibility. So basically, like, pain relief and get some range of motion back, which I can do in, you know, 100 times faster with my hands, with hands-on techniques. And I can, sure, I can get them to do it with a foam roller and maybe band mobilizations and trigger balls. And, like, you can use all those things, but it's like, what's faster? 10 minutes of cupping massage adjustment or roll on a foam roller, use a spiky ball, use a band, do some breathing, do all these things. It's like, that's all cool, but it's like, that works a lot faster, which means, it's now got 25 minutes to work on their technique, their execution, things that are actually, you know, have long-term outcomes. So it's almost just like a, how do you get through the shit as fast as possible so you can then get to the goal?
0: Yeah. And to like link in everything you've just said there, because I completely agree with that whole like desensitization model is like you see people so much just like rolling on a foam roller for for no reason, but like if you're rolling on a foam roller and doing band moves like you said and that sort of stuff to prep you for the movements that you're just about to do, um, whether it be in a rehabilitation state or um, say if you're, I guess, warming up for, for a heavy squat so you can meet the positional demands for the lift, then it makes lots of sense. What are your thoughts around people just doing like Just foam rolling for the sake of foam rolling. If they're a little bit sore, I'm just going to do some foam rolling because it's it's such a short term thing. Like it it gives us relief, but that's going to be gone within what a few hours or something. Yeah, I think it's
1: um, it's nothing wrong with it. It's nothing wrong with treatment. There's nothing wrong with any of it. It's just um, having the expectations clear of what the outcomes are is the biggest thing because. I think a lot of people do it because they don't know what the outcomes are, they don't know what the action, they don't actually know what they're doing, they're just following something blankly on social media or something like that. Um, I don't think it's ever, no one's ever going to do damage by doing a foam roller, but it's like, if you don't um, couple passive with active, like the whole passive active neural model, which is what I base it off, it's like foam rolling's fine if you couple foam rolling with like a superset of foam roller into some sort of active neural component where you're going to create lasting change. But hey, if you're just a bit sore and you want a little bit of pain relief, Awesome, but if you're expecting that foam roller to somehow make your range of motion better, then like there's probably a bit of disconnect between what your expectations are and what your intervention is, um, which means you know there's clearly some education lacking from either the coach's perspective to yep. the client, or there's the client you know obviously not seeking out what they need for what they want.
0: Absolutely. Um, do you have anything sort of to go along with that, Tony? Yeah. Cool.
2: Like, oh, yeah. we've kind of dumb it down for for someone that comes into the gym and will jump on a foam roller. Um, you want to be doing exercises on that foam roller to get you ready for the exercise that you're going to do, not just laying on it and flopping around like a whale.
0: Well, yeah, it's, it's specific to the task that you're going to be doing in, yeah. in, in a training session. Um, yeah. yeah, I
1: think um, like a lot of Jamie stuff in terms of breathing is really um, really useful yeah Um, obviously stuff and like I'm I'm a big fan of that stuff too in terms of like focus on the alignment and the biomechanics first and then basically go through that sort of passive active neural model and it's a lot faster so like for uh, I guess in simple terms sorry um, in simple terms to listeners it would be like you know um, you want to just be a bit more specific in terms of what you're trying to target rather than just blanketly trying to you know foam roll everything like think about What is the range of like what is the demands of the lift that you're about to do what kind of joints are involved what kind of muscles are involved and therefore what sort of process do you have to go through to uh, make it specific to that lift? so i guess from a motor control point of view um you know doing a band mobilization and a needle wall test is whilst it's going to help with your range of motion and your hips and your ankles it's not specific to squatting therefore if you want to improve the squat itself you need to do something that's going to prep you for the squat so it's like doing foam rolling to your calves and your hip flexes might be awesome to help with that uh, range of motion, but if you don't then back that up with something that's uh, replicating the movements of the squat and you just go straight into a squat, then there's a big gap and a big disconnect between you know isolated range of motion passively and integrated range of motion actively uh, doing a lift. So I'd say just basically you can do your foam rolling do your passive stuff, but couple it and pair it with something that replicates the
3: movement you're about to do.
0: Yeah, that makes plenty of sense. Um, yeah, I guess so, some people can get so caught up with, um, like I guess through FMA, it was all about meeting the positional demands of the lift, which was awesome. Um, so like, like a squat ankle, knee, hip, thoracic, all that sort of stuff, but then adding, making sure that, that neural components there as well, because if we, if we're just working on flexibility or, or mobility, but no, no neural or stability. The specific to the movement, then it's kind of just a waste of time really, isn't it?
1: Yeah, and that's the difference between, um, I guess when you see people come to the gym and it's like they've got to do 15 minutes of prep work to squat, and then they come back three days later and they've got to do 15 minutes of prep work to squat. <laughs> it's like they're pretty much just doing all the passive stuff to get themselves to be in a position to do a squat, but then they're not really doing anything to like create those long-term mobility changes, I guess, where they've just pretty much created short-term flexibility through passive interventions to get them through the session, and then that's worn off, and then they come back three days later, and they're going to do it again. Like if your warm-up takes longer than five to ten minutes, and you have to be consistently do it session after session, back to back to back, then there's probably uh, a missing link in terms of the stuff you're doing with integrating it into the stuff you want to be doing.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So for other other coaches, because I know you do a lot of work, which we didn't even mention any of that sort of in your intro. Like you've been running. Um, seminars and, and mentoring for, for coaches for the last what, year, two years? Um, yeah,
1: probably about
0: a year now it's going cool fast um, yeah, that was where the slides were from <laughs> so, Yeah, yeah So, tell us a little bit, we might be able to sort of come back to what we're talking about now, tell us a little bit about your um, mentorship program that you've been doing with coaches Yeah,
1: it's been cool, um so, yeah, it's probably a 50-50 split of coaches and therapists, which has been cool, because um, it's good to be able to see both sides of the equation, I guess, like, even though, you know, we have therapists down this end and coaches down this end, it's like, they kind of almost have, like, an inverse relationship, where it's like, all the coaches have really good, like, understanding of, like, lifting and stuff, they don't quite maybe have the application or, like, thought process of the therapist versus the therapist generally has a really well rounded holistic understanding of everything but they don't quite have like the practical application of programming so it's like they're almost like what they've got is what they need and it's like opposites attract And and you give them both the thing they need and then they end up being this cool like little hybrid practitioner coach um so it's been pretty cool um but yeah pretty much just started off innocently as doing um some seminars last year like kind of a couple of free ones that people wanted me to do and then um built out a couple of I ate half day ones. Got was cool, fortunate enough to travel to Adelaide to do one, and then it was out from there. Um, and then, yeah, essentially, had like three or four that were plans before COVID, which was super exciting. It was like the first bunch I'd sold out, and I was really keen. And it was like, nah. Um So yeah, I kind of got my hand forced a bit, but decided to turn it into a mentorship, which is all online now. So it's ten weeks, but probably the best thing that ever happened, to be honest, is because like two days is nowhere near enough to go through. Anything.
0: <laughs> Fucking strong, um, so, strong pivot there. That's real good.
1: Yeah, but even ten weeks, man. Like I was at, at first, I was like, oh, "How am I gonna make ten weeks of content? Have I got enough content?" And then by the end of the ten weeks, I'm like this needs to be a bloody year. <laughs>
0: yeah, right. That's so, awesome. So, what's the next steps? Expanding it out to be a year long mentorship program?
1: Yeah, I think so. Um, I think I'll run probably ideally I want to run at least like three to five intakes of the ten week, and just you know iron out all the. The niggles i've found with it um obviously you know build more of a reputation in terms of you know, getting people to go through it and get cool results and then ideally um yeah i think i did like i wanted to have the uh, longer sort of similar to what we did with fma i don't know if it's, you, know, you go through it a few times or you know maybe it's like individual modules that are spread out over a 12-month period rather than 10 weeks of you know just intense you know brain explosions and then nothing i think um i like the model of you know, learn something, have a bit of a break, learn something, have a bit of a break in terms of how it digests. So, yeah, I'm thinking some sort of thing that's, you know, maybe 12 months with, um, you know, some checkpoints in between in terms of face-to-face seminars and then, you know, maybe expand that 10 weeks into, you know, 20 weeks, but spread it out.
0: Nice. So, uh, it's it's kind of funny because I remember, like, Christian Woodford used to always be putting up stuff, like what you were talking about before, how, um, like, therapists have, like, all this knowledge and stuff, but then they'll start trying to program... Workouts and rehabilitation and all that sort of stuff for clients and he used to always talk about like bringing it together and like closing the gap and I guess that's very much what FMA kind of did as well um, but in your mentorship what sort of stuff just to give like a brief outline of what topics would uh, you cover what sort of stuff would people be learning?
1: Um, so it's called Principles of Rehab and Performance so it's pretty much yeah like trying to like bridge that gap between the two and um, I guess just create more so like understand Principles behind anatomy, biomechanics, physiology, program design rather than like, I find a lot of the courses that like, not all of them, but like a lot of the ones I've done, I'm probably sure you've done and just stuff in general in the industry. It's very like method, method specific. Yeah. And I think like, in terms of the analogy I use, it's like, you'd rather learn, have a deep understanding of gut health and calorie intake and like biology of like losing weight rather than going to learn every single individual diet out there that you can create a calorie deficit with. so like the idea behind mentorship for me is like well how do i do that but from a biomechanics uh program design point of view like how do you make something where it's like if you understand these fundamental three four principles you can then go deal with rehab if you want to you can deal with hypertrophy you can deal with strength you can deal with all kind of facets of um programming but you have like a solid backbone and understanding of like biomechanics anatomy physiology that you can then do that and i guess you know therapists it's like well there's probably A lot more of the program design, biomechanics side of things I don't kind of understand. Versus the coaches is probably like they understand that they've been in the gym, but they don't quite understand the physiology or the anatomy, maybe because maybe they didn't go to uni and they didn't get that. Versus osteos, physios are generally pretty textbook savvy, but they kind of lack the implementation. So yeah, yeah, brings it together and creates creates more
0: um, ease. (laughs) Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Now like looping back to um rehabilitation and trying to get someone from pain to performance one thing we see a lot and um i'm sure you've seen it a million times over is people who are chronically stressed and not looking after the lifestyle factors like sleep nutrition um having a real, real hard time or a really prolonged recovery period, even though they're doing all the right things, getting the manual therapy, going through the exercise intervention, but they're kind of, they're like a ham- hamster just running on a, on a wheel and they're not really getting anywhere. Um, what do you have on that topic of like stress and how that impacts rehabilitation process?
1: Yeah, to be honest, that's like, uh a big thing for me lately, I say the biggest learning curve I've had since coming out from a year and a half ago, like I've always been super like biomechanics, exercise, rehab. Like, what's well all I've like studied for six years has just been like movement, biomechanics, you know I've never, like, I've, I've spent a bit of time in health and nutrition, but like, it's never really been like my area of interest. But switching into more of a clinical aspect now, where it's like you're dealing with people with a lot more health comorbidities and diseases and chronic pain and stuff like that. Um, yeah, it's made me really, like open my realm a lot more, and I've been spending a lot of my recent time and in investment with like, I you know, stop chasing pain.
0: Yeah, I don't know heaps, but yeah, I follow his um, socials and stuff.
1: Yeah, so I like do a lot of stuff with him, and there's a few other like I guess people in the industry I look up to with with health. Um, and yeah, it definitely has a massive influence in terms of recovery, just because as much as I'd say, like, if you look at it from oh, sorry, my Siri just kind of. <laughs> uh, you know you think about the whole if the, like the true model of osteo and the reason I like osteo most is because we talk about the body's holistic and there's you know integration of all the systems and I think what a lot of us get caught into myself included is like you become holistic within one system of the body but you're not truly holistic so like for me it's like someone comes in and they say they've got shoulder pain yeah cool I look at their ankle I look at their hip I look at their whole body I'm being holistic but I'm being holistic in the biomechanical one Yeah. Not being holistic in terms of, I'm not looking at, you know, neurological, respiratory, gut health. Like, I'm not looking at everything. So, therefore, it's truly not really holistic. So, for me, I was like, oh, well, that makes sense. Like, I'm only looking at, are they doing their exercises right? Is their technique right? Is their volume right? Is all those things right? But I actually haven't considered, like, their external stresses, their lifestyle, you know, the influence of the visceral, uh, all those other things. So, yeah, it's being a people learning curve for me. I think it plays a massive role, like, overall stress and uh, addressing that kind of. A holistic model of someone's recovery because if you don't get the recovery route and the nutrition, the sleep, the training, uh, all that doesn't work synergistically. And it's just training alone. It's like you have the best program in the world, but as you know, if you have someone who's completely burnt out and got chronic pain, it's like the exercise and the training is pretty much the, the bottom of the hierarchy. It's like if you don't sort out their their lifestyle protocols and their health protocols, then um, you know a system can only ever heal as well as the resources that it has. And if you it's all drained of resources and the last thing you want to do is add more stress to the bucket with extra exercise
0: yeah yeah We like we see stacks of people trying to trying to recover and they're in a deep caloric deficit they're sleeping you know five six hours a night real shitty mental emotional stress like and yeah like, they're like, just the pissing in the point. wind
1: like a mu- like if you got re- if you got an injury like you can't it's the same as hypertrophy it's like you can't build muscle out of thin air if you're in a calorie deficit but also at the same time when it comes to a lot of people with chronic pain or like chronic overuse injuries tendinopathies um recurring strains like repetitive overuse all those things it's like you tend to notice like there is associated lifestyle factors with it whether it be like uh, you know chronic calorie deficit or chronic stress or some gut health issues and it's like well the body literally doesn't have the resources to allow you to heal so it's like the low-hanging fruit in that situation is to you know obviously look at how we can up the resources rather than like the technique's important, but it's like the technique isn't really the issue. If you're eating like 500 calories less a day, how okay, are you supposed to? How, how do you have any chance of healing that tendon or that muscle? It's like, not gonna heal out of nowhere. Yeah, it just makes it makes so much
0: sense. Like I remember um, at the Strength Culture Summit when um, Dan Dan Gidesi, um, when when he spoke about the um, was it a dental thing they did i can't i can't remember exactly what it was but some sort of dental surgery and they had students who were on spring break and students who were in an exam setting and the ones in the exam setting took a like a, a massive amount of time longer to recover yeah and it's the only the only factor there is stress
1: yeah what's well um i think we talked about fma maybe like talking about allostasis and allostatic load and like how yeah. the body differentiate between stresses like you're just one system essentially like as much as we like to compartmentalize different systems and different stresses and stuff like it's pretty much we are one system and our system can handle so much load or so much you know allostasis essentially before we crack or before we are unable to recover so your body doesn't know how to differentiate between someone beeping at you in traffic and you know 100 kilo What it's like all it knows is it's a certain amount of stress it's going to take a certain amount of resources that uh, you know you need to recover from so i think the biggest thing, yeah, like, obviously, what you're saying, you know, probably my approach over the last six months has changed to, like, health first, performance second, where it's, like, Luke Lehman, I can't remember what he says, but you think he calls it, like, preparing to prep phase or something? And yeah, like, yeah. In a lot of sense, like, fix all that shit first, because there's no point in worrying about performance and uh, all those outcomes if you've got someone who's already got... You know, they're already kind of 10 steps backwards like you almost have to create a blank camera before you can start to add volume add load worry about all those extra factors so
0: that makes so much sense I've never actually thought about that prepping to prep or least mode or whatever as um like a rehab yeah intervention absolutely.
1: like it's it's all the same that's the thing it's like you spend all this time learning rehab all this time learning s and now like I'm investing all this time learning health and like with all the principles like and that's why I say to the students and the mentorship it's like Don't think about it as learning rehab, learning strength, learning hypertrophy. If you just learn physiology, anatomy, biomechanics, it's like the principles are the same. You're just seeing them expressed in different ways or different applications in different methods. So it's like if you learn that really well, well, then you can literally be a Gavin or a John or a Buckley where it's like, you know, what are they? We don't know what they are, but they just fix a bunch of shit in a bunch of different areas. (laughs) Like legit, I don't even know what Buckley is
0: still. (laughs) I don't don't think Buckley knows what he is. He just knows a whole bunch of shit and he can fix stuff because he understands the principles.
1: Gene Teo, what is he? Like, he just understands everything, like, and he's really
0: good at it. Well, even Luke, like, Luke, Luke Lehman, he, he has no university degree whatsoever, no no formal education. Yeah, and that's the thing, it's like,
1: but he just understands the basic principles, the fundamentals he understands better than anyone else, which allows him to get someone jacked or get someone out of chronic pain or get someone strong for powerlifting or fix someone's shoulder pain. Like, he can do all four things based off the same principles. Like, that final effect of just learn... The foundations you can start doing other things rather than trying to learn compartmentalize things and then essentially when someone doesn't fit your model of the world you're like homer simpson and the simpsons flicking through the bible We're like where well, yeah, this doesn't have any answers <laughs> <laughs> okay.
0: okay madness madness yeah.
1: so yeah man like for me i guess um it's been a big big change just the way i do things like i'd, I'd say it's more just change the front end like the back end of how I do things doesn't change too much in terms of the programming S&C side of things, but that initial stage is where I'm seeing people. It's a lot more, like I still care about all that stuff, but like I almost don't care as much anymore about that stuff until i fixed all those things. So I'm like, I know it's there, but I'm like, it's kind of in the back burner of my brain. Like this, you know, that's point B is when I start looking at these things. Like point A right now is like sleep, stress, steps, water, you know, nutrition, lifestyle, like, that's my first four weeks with most people is just like pretty much, I just give them a bunch of motor control, a bunch of like low threshold training, which is not going to be very stressful, but can still give them a perception of their training hard. <laughs> that
0: yeah. Makes sense. Yeah. It's like
1: when you think about the examples, like if you give people a lot of tempo work and counterbalance squad and breathing and all that stuff, it's like, it's not really a high enough intensity that it's going to drive a lot of adaptation, but it's still a high perceived intensity that they feel like they're blowing out their ass in their training. Hard. Yeah. So, 100 kilo back squat is hard a 40 kilo goblet squat with four second tempo focusing on breathing and bracing is not really that hard in terms of like the weight but it's like in terms of the actual perception it's still hard it has an rp scale but it's like it's not going to create the same stress no. but basically just like a filler almost working on their technique allowing them to heal while the priority right now is use your resources and other ways to um you know in terms of non-training things which you can then create a platform so in four weeks time in the background you've pretty much worked on your technique and worked on your biomechanical deficiencies um but at the forefront you've worked on all your health deficiencies and then in the four weeks you kind of hit both angles to get to this starting point after the prepared prep phase where we can then do the cool things we want to do so that's like the way i look at it now is like yeah i'm an osteo but like i don't know i feel like i just kind of People come in for pain, but it's like for me, it's not just
3: about that anymore. It's like I just use the treatment as a conversation. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah.
1: Like all the stuff I do between the sessions is what's going to help them or not. Like it's desensitization, passive range of motion. That's all it is. Yeah. Uh, What's going to fix their bucket overflowing and fix their long-term outcomes is going to be the protocols from a health prescription and then the programming from
3: a performance prescription.
0: Well, I've seen you all like when people come and see you for, for treatment um, you don't just treat them you write them their program as well and like there's, there's more to it with your approach and your, your I guess your model um, it's not just come and get a treatment and then come back in a few weeks like so on top of that I'm assuming um, sort of everything we spoke about now you're also in that time of really educating people who are coming more primarily for for um, for pain um, educating them on all the stuff we just spoke about that prepping to prep stuff and then giving them programs to start adding that exercise intervention as well.
1: Yeah. I think it's like, I feel like the model doesn't help though. Like, as much as, I've, I've thought about this both ways. And it's like, you've got people who say, if you're a therapist and you make people keep coming back, you're selling them snake oil and you're a horrible person. So then everyone's going the opposite direction they're like how can I see people the least amount of times? because that means I'm a better therapist and I'm a better person. Yeah. Which i so going down that route. But then it's like as a coach when do you get the best results of people?
0: Generally when you see them more.
1: Mm. Yeah. So why is it okay for someone to pay you 80 bucks a week to train every week to improve their performance but if I tell someone to come back every week to improve their performance I'm a snake and a shit osteo and I only want their money.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well it makes sense doesn't it?
1: So it's like but the thing is it's like you've got that kind of you've got that sort of uh, aura because there's a bunch of therapists in the you know i guess in the industry that do just get people to come back and just give them the rough and crack and their sort of uh, extra stuff giving it to them yeah but it's like at the same time when i first started it was like oh my god i don't want to be like those people so like how do i fix someone in two goes and then but then i went too far down that road where i'm like it was almost like an ego boost for me to like fix someone in one or two goes and i'm like did i really fix them or did i just they left and they're like, oh, my shoulder feels amazing. And I'm like, ooh, how good am I? But really, I didn't actually help them because all I did was fix their symptom, get them the first two steps, and then they came back a month later and they had the same
0: problem. Yeah, well, I guess it's like we we, we are the experts and we are like we tell people what they need, but because of some charlatans out there who are doing the wrong thing, it's like you kind of feel guilty for doing it sometimes. When, yeah. you know, you have someone come in and they're going, oh, like, I want – from, I guess from a personal trainer point of view, coming in and saying, I need to lose X amount of weight by this time. And we tell them how much is actually realistic. And then if they want to hit that realistic amount, this is how many times you need to be training a week. And you know, it's going to probably be three or four training sessions a week as well as steps on your other days and blah, 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 blah. Um, yeah, but like, like we said, like you've got so many people out there who are snake oil salesmen who will just be like, you need to train like every single day. And they're, they're really just stealing your money. Yeah. So it's find that balance isn't it and just knowing knowing that you're doing the right thing ethically I guess like it's, it, it's coming from a place of like care not from just going like I just want to make money yeah sure I
1: think if you, I always say if you focus on giving value and actually help people then the money will come later if, you focus yeah. on, if you're focusing on trying to squeeze like if, you know get, get that tooth, uh, what do you call it the uh, toothpaste and try and squeeze every last bit out because that's how you try to treat your clients and you're not really going to get much uh, retention you're basically just trying to squeeze every penny out so it's definitely the model to go for but I think it's just different in terms of like and what I don't like about the allied health industry is like I found that when I was a coach people come to you and they already have this expectation or it's like it's normal to be seeing you continuously Yeah. versus when people come to see me as an osteo they've already got this kind of pre-conceived conception of it's a treatment it's going to go 30 minutes I'm going to get fixed in four to six sessions Yeah. and, and that's it so like when I kind of then go down my i guess i'm more of a coach than an osteo to be honest i feel like i just use my osteo brain as coach when i start to go into that model it's like almost weird but then i think about the whole industry i'm like well imagine if all the osteos and physios could like adopt a coaching model how much better outcomes would that be for people? oh so much better like why are we stuck in a 30 minute come see me when you're in pain like i don't i don't agree with the whole system of like allied help. i feel like it's just backwards and very monetary rather than value based like yeah I can easily smash out 50 sessions a week at 80 bucks a pot make my 4 grand go home and like live happily ever after but like I don't really like obviously I don't align with this. I really don't like it but for me it's like imagine if it was less of that and more of I see 10 people 20 people consistently and I'm working on all these parameters which is pretty much what I'm doing now is more of a different model I've created so more of a hybrid
0: of like treating them and coaching them is that what you're talking about?
1: yeah so I'll, I'll see people like I run it like an online coaching model sort of thing and I'll catch up with them once a month, but then once a month I'll catch up with them for an hour so it's a longer session and it might be a little bit of treatment, it might be a little bit of exercise, go through some exercises, prescription, and in between is, you know, all the protocols don't need to be done face-to-face so it's like there's no point you see me weekly, like I can give you nutrition, your lifestyle, stack, track your health, track your metrics, look at your videos, like all that's done online, you come and see me once a month which is pretty much like a review consultation, might be some hands-on, might be some go through your deadlifts, your shoulder when you're pressing while you get getting pain like it's like that's a lot more value in that for the client it's a lot more timely for me this works better for everyone rather than like come see me for half an hour pay me 80 bucks i have to rush everything and then you know what's happening between the session like it just doesn't make sense
2: so does that mean that you only have a certain clientele that are up for that like you know in the in this day and age of um people who go to see osteophysios whatever they're in the older generation they're just like I'm really really hurt I need this they're not really up for the whole holistic um, talk to me about sleep talk to me about rehab talk to me they're not even even that is not even in their realm and it's not something that they're going to open up to you about how do you go with that kind of stuff yeah so
1: I don't like that's my preferred model but like I don't um what's the word I'm looking for I don't like exclusive it's not like fully exclusive where I like I still do casual consultations with people because like not everyone's going to want as much as I think it's the best way and you guys might think it's the best way as well in terms of we have that knowledge like you can't force people to do shit they don't want to do and some people just realistically yeah they want to come in and just get no I don't care about the rest of it I just want my treatment to feel better and go home like that's completely cool Um, but for me it's yeah like my model with people with they're open-minded to it and they um they're actually wanting to make longer term change i you know explain that in the first two sessions and say like look you know we can do this this is option a we just do the treatment we do some stuff i'll give you some things to do um you know or if you want this this and this you know this, obviously i feel like this would be a better fit for you if they want to do that way awesome if they want to do that way awesome
2: um, and do, do you do you work with other personal trainers so we refer out quite a bit like if yeah. we have like a, a client that's this is not getting better. We're not. This is not being fixed. You need to see someone else, or like our myos or whatever. Do you work with other people that are- um,
1: Yeah, i say 50% of my, well maybe not 50%, but I'd say I, I have a fair few um, referral networks of PTs who are local, so I, I guess I, I have my finger in a lot of pies. <laughs> I can do my own pitching. Um I have people who just come see me casually, and then there's obviously a bunch of people who come see me who are like referrals from PTs, like what you said, like I don't know what's going on, can you have a look? And obviously in those scenarios, like that's someone else is fine, if my job is just get them better, keep them the protocols, I'm not obviously going to coach them or even give that offer on the table, just for obviously... Um,
2: but do you then work with the personal trainer, like I always, if I send someone somewhere, I want to hear back from what their thoughts are, what they want, what they're looking at, what they're thinking... Um, so, the, the so you can incorporate it into their training yeah. and actually fill yeah. it out. Yeah.
0: Yeah,
1: 100. I think that's the biggest thing. Um, okay. Yeah, I'm really, I'm really big on that. Obviously, uh, uh, being a, a PT previously, it was pretty frustrating when you send people um, and they don't.
0: Hold uh, up! Hold on a on on second. One second. Let me pause this. All right, cool. uh, all right guys, we just had a little disruption, a little mid-conversation break, as we had a visitor. So we're back now. Um, did you want to kind of continue on?
2: I was just talking about um, working with other PTs um, in that model that you've created in your business and helping them um, when they... Yeah,
0: help them get the best results with their, with with their, their client. With their client. With the exercise intervention. Yeah,
1: so um, when I refer with PTs, yeah, obviously it's, it's more of a conventional model. Like it's not, um, obviously if they're sending to their clients, I'm not coaching their clients and basically just... Uh, seeing their client doing the assessment doing the treatment and then sending their client back with like appropriate protocols and stuff and then I'll make sure like I'm pretty big on um, that side of things just because I think it's super important and obviously when I was a PT I feel like a lot of therapists uh, I don't know they don't, like, they get, you get a few good ones but a lot of therapists like they don't tend to communicate very well and I think
2: that's a big thing 100% I've, 100% so uh, I've got a few people that I refer out to like I've got a few ladies that have had babies that need um, pelvic floor specialists and stuff like that, um, I want to know what they're prescribing them and what they're getting them to do so I can help. And it can't help if they're not responsive to telling me what's going on or what they're doing.
1: Yeah. It's, um, it was such a low hanging fruit though, but yeah, I feel like just the common feedback from myself when I was pt and like from other pts yeah like you said you send a bunch of clients to a physio osteo and then like you just don't hear anything or you you get some shitty response here and there so for me like it was from day one a big a big thing from just a morals point of view but also from like a business point of view it's like it just seems stupid it's like if you can create a good network of a pt who trust you and they have 20 clients well guess what's going to happen you're going to make your business better as well so for me both from a kind of mutual client outcome point of view but also from like a business outcome point of view it's just a no-brainer. So for me, yeah, every every time I see a new client that gets sent from a PT, it's um, I follow up with the voicemail, which is me explaining everything, just because voicemail is easy. Just send a five-minute message that would be ten thousand words long. <laughs> um, so I mean, like, and especially like a lot of therapists say, I don't have the time to communicate. So I'm like, if you do voicemail, like the voicemail is the best thing in the world because like you usually, love a voicemail. Oh, mate. I'm just saying, like, I, I can be on my way home from seeing eight patients and voicemail, three PTs with three-minute video, a uh, three-minute uh, voicemail, each explaining diagnosis, outcome, what I'm going to do, what they're going to do, the expectations, and, like, it's so easy. That's it's taking... so crazy
2: that people don't use it more. Uh, my husband's 50 years old. He's a carpet layer, and Suri is his best friend. So he will literally get on the phone as soon as he's in the car driving, be like, hey, Suri, message, blah, 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 and then be this whole message, and then he's, he's done about seven jobs on the way home for his next day's clientele. And it's just, that's carpet laying. It's like, it's not, it's not oh. rocket science. It's, it's so much easier to do that. Yeah.
1: So that's So yeah, for me, like the advice is, yeah, for therapists out there, like just yeah, communicate, like, you communicate a little bit less than shit. And it goes along way. Like, <laughs> um, like you don't have to do it. Like I think a lot of them get caught up in, um, perfection mode it's like oh if I don't send the perfect program or this perfect thing then like I'm not going to do it it's like I think it's just all you guys want to know and I feel like it's easy for me because I've been on both sides of the defense it's like I just want to know what's going on what I can do what I can't do make sure I'm not going to fuck yeah. them up and then give me some basic guidelines and keep me updated so yeah that's the main sort of point of communication and then I'll just do the same every time I see the client like it's a follow-up yeah I saw so-and-so it's not you know things going as expected or change it this change that um, and I'll you know, send them an email, with some protocols, or some links to the videos, because I've got kind of an exercise library for my database, so yes, it? it is. I can flick through like a program with video explanations, and then it's like, all you've got to do is pretty much babysit them through this program, I've done it all for you.
0: There's, there's so much, I feel like between coaches and allied health professionals, like there's so much ego at play a lot of the time, like a, a coach feels funny about sending the program they've written to the allied health professional because they feel like the allied health professional is going to judge them and be like, that's a piece of shit, why are you giving them that? And then vice versa with the allied health professional. Like, there's there's so much, um, I don't know. Well, I think there's some also some day.
2: expectations with some of the allied health that all personal trainers are a bit hacks and don't know what they're talking about anyway. So, there's... You, you would wanna... They're nearly
0: right. Like, there's like probably 90%. Then you could say
2: but if you're yeah. sending, if you get, yeah. if you have a personal trainer that's sending yeah. you, sending you they're doing right thing. They obviously yeah. aren't hacked hack if they're just if they're doing that. Like that's a that's a good gauge that they're not just like hurting them. And yeah,
0: like they're doing the right thing, referring. Yeah, and like even then, it's like I mean. And everyone's doing the best they can with the resources they have, I guess. Yeah, exactly.
1: And I don't know for me, it's I know, it's a bit easier because I've been on both sides. But I guess yeah, there's probably one or two times I've had people refer to me, and I'm like you know. Like, program is a bit shit or like you know but like my my voicemail is not your program shit you suck as a PT and like you don't know what you're doing you're you're you're
0: upselling them into your (laughs) year-long mentorship aren't you
1: (laughs) it's it's you know offering them advice and you know maybe like you know I'm not going to tell them oh this is crap this is basically like oh they don't know they don't know but like I much prefer a PT who doesn't have that level of knowledge who is actually having the care, like the process of doing the right thing rather than the egotistical PT who has the best program and doesn't want to send his client anywhere because he's too egotistical. 100%. So I can work with that person and help that person. That person, I, can, I can't work with. It's yeah. Like, you know, knows. you, you want know, to say, if you want to hire someone, hire someone who wants to learn and has the personality versus hire someone who's smart and egotistical and yeah. doesn't want to look. It's the same with the referrals. It's like... I have no issues with that. You know, your program wasn't wasn't the best. however we took this and this? Um, here's why you can't get injured. Like, it's just an education process. Obviously, it's, I'm limited in what I can do when I'm working with a lot of people, but I still try my best to give them a little,
2: you know, sound. Well, 100% does turn mm. over into someone that you can bring into a mentorship and then say, hey, you know, if you've had this issue a couple of times with, you know, your clients, how about you do this and jump on board with us and I can help you out? Like, they're obviously up for it if they're referring out. They're not egotistical like you yeah. said. I'm the worst
1: salesman in the world, though, so I never offer anything. But if they come
2: to me, then I'll do it. <laughs> it. Oh, um, you're missing out. Look, we've just given you something to add on yeah. to your list. I just
0: feel like you've done all the sales courses, too, haven't you? You've done Gullivers.
1: But something that's like personal, it's not, like obviously, it's not, if you're trying to offer someone help, it's not an issue, but I, mean, I just feel weird offering people things like, oh, it sounds very, it sounds very sleazy being like, oh, I'll give you my help, and by the way, I have a program, Rather than, I just like, if I help them, I help them, I help them, eventually, yeah. if they help, they'll ask for it, and if they do, we'll have that conversation. Well, that's it, it's
0: like, when they ask for it, like, when, when someone asks for it, you're just solving a problem, like, it's not really, like, it's sales, but you're solving a problem. But you yeah. kind of feel bad if you are the person who's like, initiating it
1: like it's the same even with clients man like people come in and like I know they need a TheraBand to do their exercise and I'm like would you like to buy an extra $10 TheraBand yeah 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 <laughs> I'd rather just be like go on eBay buy this band like because it just doesn't seem like I'm trying to. Like- <laughs> <laughs> like, even though it's only 10 bucks I just feel like almost, this is me man it's nothing to do with the issue but uh, that's just my personal thing I'm like, I'd rather just help someone and provide lots of value and then eventually they get to the point where they want to work with you or want to buy your shit rather than, like, happens to be like, oh, I've got this
0: thing, would you like this thing? Yeah, 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 well, it's clearly because, you're like, you, you, you've got good ethics and you're, you're em- an empathetic person, but you don't want to, like, just come across as, like, a sales asshole or jerk or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Add it to the bottom of your emails just a casual. If you want to find out more. <laughs> no. If you want a TheraBand. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Weekly TheraBand sale <laughs> newsletter. so like do you we we spoke a little bit about your um like hybrid model do you have many people come to you at the moment just for just for coaching or just for one on one PT sessions at the clinic um uh, I don't really know what I do so
1: like (laughs) (laughs) Separate, like even though I have the clinic, I guess, like, I kind of keep it separate somewhat in terms of like most people that come to see me for coaching is like through online, Facebook, Instagram. Like, people reach out and they want to do coaching with me. And it's like, even though they might be wanting it for rehab and other stuff, it's like they're, they're coming for me wanting coaching, and then it's like they just get integrated into a model where it's like, cool, as part of my coaching, come into my clinic once a month if you're in Melbourne and we'll catch up. Versus, um, then I've got you know, just 15 hours a week of availability on my website where you can just book in for a casual consult so it's like I kind of cater for you know gen pop whoever needs to come in old lady person like I need to come in, my shoulders in pain Um, and then the online coaching education stuff kind of takes care of itself through social media Yeah. but if if there is occasionally like if it's it's the right person and it's the right fit and it's what they need like you know if I know that this type of person this isn't a purely muscular thing that's going to go away with treatment and it's like I know they need a program, they need some lifestyle overhauls and they need like the full package, then like I'll definitely say to them like half the first or second treatment when they're feeling better, like look, here's the plan, we could do this, this and this, or I've also got this option where I do everything for you and I basically become your life coach. Would you like that option? Um, some people will say, yes, that sounds amazing, that's what I need. Some people will say, no, I just want you to treat me, that's cool. But do you say,
2: use the word life coach or is that dependent on the person that you've got in, on the table? <laughs> Dan, Dan prefers guru. <laughs>
0: nice Guru, Guru, Dan, Guru, Hoff.
2: Guru Dan I think
0: that's what we're going to call this podcast then No we're going to call it so Dan's name from, from FMA days Was when we were doing a Wim Hof breathing session On what was it Was it a retreat It was a retreat wasn't it Jin Hof Because he's ginger And we are doing a Wim Hof method So he became Jin Hof for like Do people still call you Jin Hof from FMA? Oh uh, yeah A couple of them Lux and
2: I like Dan, the guru better.
0: Dan, the guru. I am not
2: your guru. (laughs) (laughs) Instead of you, Tony Robbins.
1: (laughs) 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 But, yeah, I guess um, the thing that comes with that model, though, as well, is like, it's a lot of work doing that model. So, like, I don't really deliberately offer it to everyone just because it's like, one, it's not for everyone like Tony said it's a certain type of person who's even going to follow those protocols 90, 90% of people who come into my clinic aren't the type of person who's going to track their sleep and their nutrition their training and everything most people who are just running hectic lives just want to come in see me get their pain and go away and it's like that's completely fine um, so yeah for me it's like I only want to cap myself for like 20 people and I coach anyway otherwise this becomes an absolute disaster and I burn myself out so yeah for me it's kind of like you know I have my coaching clients I have my mentorship students and then you know Whatever's left over from my time is pretty much just casual availability clinic where I can just serve, you know,
2: either referrals from other PTs or just people walking down the street who in a backpack. Yeah, I think that um, you know when you have clientele and they are coming back, do you do create that rapport where you could go down the line of offering your services not necessarily saying it's a life coach, but you cre- create that trust aspect, especially yeah, if you're seeing well, them like, quite a bit.
1: Yeah, it's usually, you know, they've been coming in for a period of time or they've been having repetitive issues and it's like, you know, I mean, even sometimes like I've said it to people and they say, no, nah, I'm right. And it's like six months later and they've come back into the same shoulder issue six times and like, oh, you know, what was that thing you were doing? I was like, yeah, and then, you know, because yeah. um, I literally say I'm right, look, if I was trying to make money out of you, I would just, not even offer this to you and let you come back for the next, I'm 24, man, I'm gonna be an osteo in 30 years. Like, if you wanna come back eight times a year for 20 years, that's 160 consults, that's gonna make me a lot more money than if I had told you to do my program for six months of coaching. So, like, it's about money, I wanna over- offer you this. If it's about fixing you in the fastest way possible, doing what I enjoy and giving you the thing you need, then um, and here is how we can do it. And most people won't say no, will say no initially, because they just, like really weird concept to them because like you're an osteo why are you trying to do this
3: outside the box stop saying these things
2: while you've got needles in me thank you <laughs> yeah.
0: it's, not it's not just needles like,
3: did you say no <laughs> 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 that shit <laughs> uh, yeah it's funny like if you
1: come back later it's like six months down the track and they've seen you probably 15 times in that six month period and it's like well you could have just bought, paid me for coaching and you wouldn't have spent that much money Susan
2: <laughs> yeah is Susan the same as Karen <laughs> Susan's and Karen's they're the same mm-hmm. we could have another whole another discussion about that right
0: that's
2: such
0: a... <laughs> <laughs> um jumping back like we kind of like bounce back and forth between like, I guess, rehab and business. Going back to more of a rehab sense, what are the top things or top injuries that you see in like an active population? So people who lift, whether it be like powerlifting, crossfitting, Olympic lifting, just general gym bros. Gym
1: bros, my favorite. Um, I'd say 100% And if you want to get more specific into that, it'd be like, um, facet sprains, SIJ sprains, disc presentations, um, and the shoulder would be like, uh, rotator cuff tendinopathy, um, impingement, they'd probably be the main ones. Um, and then when it comes to gen pop, uh, I hate the word gen pop, but like when it comes to non-lifters or just normal humans, um, you know, more neck pain, mid-back pain, kind of hip pain, that sort of thing from, sedentary lifestyles but yeah lifters are definitely like that sort of extension bias yeah, uh, extension overload you know chronic overload sort of injuries where it's you know all that compressive force it's just building up over time SRJs facets hip impingements.
0: yeah do you MSLs. do you find a lot of the time um, I guess it's, it's probably going to be a, it depends answer but overtraining or um, imbalanced and weak in in certain areas like i know i listened to your podcast with um jordan on his one and i think you guys were talking about like um hip yeah that, was, that would have been a while ago um hip. if i found them all and yeah, said yeah, i'm gonna listen to, listen to
2: these, these before we have this um podcast to see what you're about yeah
0: and you and you spoke a bit about like you get so many people who work like the posterior chain and especially like with with um Hips, it's like everyone just smashes glutes and no one does anything for their adductors, no one does any like hip flexor strengthening work. Um, so yeah, back to my, my original question do you find it's a lot of the time more overtraining or more muscular imbalances? I think
1: it's a combination, but I think the biggest thing that I see is probably um imbalances between planes of motion as well, from a yep. biomechanical point of view. So it's like everyone thinks about like muscle groups, which Again, muscle groups is important. Planes of motion are important. Like everything's important. Not one's more important than the other. But it's like people only people tend to pick one yeah. variable of training or one variable of like movement and just smash that. And it's like posterior chain is you know the next bee's knees, and then this is the next knees yeah. knees. It's like it's all important when it's done correctly in the right periodized manner. Um, and yeah, I guess what I was saying about them was like, well, if you if you think about breaking it down further into like movement patterns, it's like well. You know, we got sagittal transverse coronal like how much work do people do outside sagittal plane in the gym generally very little and if you're not working outside the sagittal plane you're pretty much not working anything in terms of any muscles that are working transverse or coronal so like say goodbye to glute me adapters obliques like pretty much the way i think about it and i talk about the mentorship is like are you familiar with slings
0: yeah yeah, yeah.
3: To
1: think about like in terms of the sagittal plane, you've got your deep front line, your superficial front line. So your deep front lines, like your psoas, your scalenes, your diaphragm, um, and your hip flexors. And then essentially your superficial front line is like your abs, um, your SCM, your quads, and your tibialis anterior. So it's like your deep front line is pretty much like the foundation of the house, which is like will control um, you know, respiration, control posture, control all the things that are important in terms of then creating movement. Um, and then you've got the superficial front line which is more expression of movement in terms of you know, quads, more powerful muscles like that and then you've got the oblique slings which are the rotational slings which is where all your power comes from, so you can get an anterior oblique sling as your adductors and your obliques and then posterior oblique slings your lats and your glutes like what are the four biggest or four most explosive muscles in your body or four of the most like lats biggest muscle in your body, glute huge muscle, explosive, power, jump in sprinting, adductors and obliques anything rotational, change of direction sprinting, jumping, that sort of thing, so it's like essentially, sagittal plane great for stability, great for creating a platform for coronal and transverse planes to express movement, so it's like sagittal plane controls movement, and then the other two express movement, if you don't have a solid foundation, yeah, makes sense. you can't make explosive power, but it's like everything you do from an athletic point of view involves some rotation component yep. what women will do is they early train sagittal, sagittal sagittal, and they expect that Bilateral squatting, bilateral deadlifting, barbell movements—all that shit in the gym—is then somehow going to make them better at doing life or athletic movements, which is not. There's a bunch of going on
3: this
0: way. I wish everyone could see this because we're only recording the audio. But I wish they could. I wish they could see you right now. That'd be brilliant.
3: things out front
0: It's it's this is very off topic but um I've heard I've heard so many stories of with this whole coronavirus and people working from home now and using zoom so many people thinking that their camera was turned off when their camera is not turned off and doing some really fucking you know shit people don't want to see like I've I've heard so many stories yeah oh my god yeah have you heard many or not
1: I actually accidentally did a zoom
3: call for my mentorship nude the other day
0: fuck off did ya (laughs) You would, because I, I heard who was um was it Sky put up a, a video um, not long ago where she was talking about she was doing a, a call with her clients and you just walked straight past just in the nude and you didn't realise she was on a call. She had a phone like
1: this and she was on the call and like I assume the phone was on her and for some reason the phone was facing that way. <laughs> I mean like is that door like TV's like there or where the door is. And I've like walked in through the door, like with a, like I think I was naked or I had a towel around me from the shower. I just walked in and was like looking for jocks, and then all of a sudden she's like, "Oh my god!" And I was like, "What?" And I'm standing there like, oh my <laughs> 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 then, like a client, like TV or the new like bed frame or thing we got, and like you just, and then all I could see was like, apparently it was just like if my eyes were my penis, it was like that. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: Just, just the tip. Just the tip. Just the
3: tip. Don't
0: get wrong. Well, I heard, I heard one the other day where um, apparently this guy was on like a corporate, corporate Zoom call or whatever and he just thought his audio was on for some reason and he leaves, he leaves the room and it was like apparently a big group one. He leaves the room and he, he comes back in with just a box of tissues. <laughs> and, then, and then apparently he had the audio off too. So like, People are, like, yelling at him and, like, writing messages trying to let him know. And they're like, has, has someone got his number? And, like, <laughs> they about I to call they him because they just see his, yeah, yeah, well, yeah.
2: He can make people leave. Maybe,
0: maybe he was the host. <laughs> What's that? What's he <laughs> what, what was he doing? What was he doing, Dan? He had a box of tissues. Wait, he, he, started, uh... he started. He started sneezing. Yeah, I'm super cool. <laughs> but apparently people just started leaving. Like people were like, they're like, oh hell no. Like it was in America and they just started leaving. It's probably online somewhere. It'd be on the interweb for sure. You'd be all over it. Was it a big
3: sneeze?
2: <laughs> the biggest
0: sneeze. Where okay. where even were we? I don't even know. Why? Yeah.
2: Okay, right. Is it overtraining? Yeah, that's right. Yeah.
0: So it depends. Yeah.
2: Depends on how many tissues you need, right? <laughs> Tony, we just,
0: we just pulled ourselves back to being somewhat professional and you, you dragged us back into the gutter. Well,
2: that's my job. Dirty Tony. <laughs> Guru Dan and Dirty Tony. Oh, Jesus
0: Christ. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Um, <laughs> training under recovery and then also the actual components of the program as well yeah I heard a really good one from um, I jumped on uh, shit who ran it there was that online webinar thing not long ago that had like Jordan Shallow um, who else was on there there was heaps there were stacks of coaches but I jumped on and um, watched Jordan Shallow's presentation and he was talking a lot about um, people going to see therapists with chronically tight hip flexors and that everyone will just treat it just by like, just stretch, you know, we'll treat the hip flexors with some manual therapy, just couch stretch, couch stretch. Um, and he kind of just took it back and he's like muscle action and function. He's like, what's, what's the function of the hip flexors It's to help stabilize um, lumbar spine. And he's like, well, obviously there's a stability issue which is causing the hip flexors to, to get tight over time. And I, I thought that was super interesting hearing that from him. Um, because, yeah, you just hear it so many times, like, m- everyone just thinks muscles tight, um, like, and they're, they're tight overactive, like, that that whole tight overactive thought process, but actually it's probably just weak. Yeah, we can be, um, short and weak or long and weak.
1: Yeah. Just, just different things, but, yeah, I mean, it depends current, if you're a believer of the whole, like, you know, inhib- inhibited muscles, facilitated muscles, short and weak and all those things, like, I think... Um, I probably yeah echo what he says like yeah obviously, but also yeah like going there's muscle action, muscle function, and then also thinking about um if you are going to prescribe stuff like that, thinking about more
2: like I'm a big fan of eccentric and like um have you
1: heard of, have you heard the concept of like eccentric isometrics and lengthening? No. So like. In the example, like say someone's got a chronically shortened, you know, Pec Minor or chronically shortened psoas, um, Where it's like, and when I say shortened, I mean like we've actually had like changes in terms of like the length of the sarcomere, not just like the muscles. You yeah. I mean, what he's talking about is like when someone has a tight hip flexor. Yeah. A fit, but because it's stability issue, well it's like there's a stability issue, which means in terms of the nervous system, it's now making that muscle changes. Yeah. Uh, correct. Yeah, versus if you had like a morphological change where it's like, if that has been around for a long period of time, it's like, it can actually change the length of the sarcomere, which means you've now got a, uh, like an actual different new homeostasis, I guess, in terms of the resting length of the muscle. So it's like, if someone's had, like if that's there for a day or so because of a neural thing, it's like, yeah, you can stretch it, you can get relief, muscle length, muscle tension, go back to normal. Versus if that's been there for a chronically long period of time, it's like, you can now get, um, you know, shortening of the sarcomeres, which form the muscle, which means that's a morphological change, which means a different intervention to uh, a neural thing. So it's like passive restriction versus an act- like an active restriction, yep. um, which talks about as well, where it's like that would be more of a motor control issue, where it's like we just do some breathing down, regulate the nervous system, desensitize, and the PET goes back to normal rest yep. length versus a like true passive restriction or shortening of the muscle would mean we need to re-lengthen the muscle. Uh, and to re-lengthen the muscle, we need to essentially do types of, uh, muscle contractions that are going to lengthen it. So we think eccentrics and then we also think eccentric isometric would be take the pec to its end range of motion, so it's in a full stretch position, and then perform an isometric. Yeah. So it's like in the if we were going to do a pec, like one of my favorite ones today is like a dumbbell pullover. So it's like if he, they might only be able to get to you know you can't really see, it, but they might only be able to get to like this much shoulder flexion because that pec is so chronically shortened. It was like I go to end range of motion for them, so really slow eccentric to get there, and then when I'm there, it's like a maximum isometric hold yep with breathing and then you slowly kind of like almost combining PNF with eccentric isometric yeah absolutely yeah the whole target of it's like to try and cause micro tears in the sarcomeres to try and re-lengthen that muscle to a normal resting length yep and that's more of that passive intervention which you then back up with some obviously range of motion training to then get it there again so it's like is it the muscles short and tight or is it the muscles um, you know just tight and facilitated because sorry tight and inhibited because um you know, from a neural point of view. So, and then you also go on, yeah, like he says, muscle action, muscle function. So, a step further would be like, okay, what's the action of the PEC? You know, it's adduction, internal rotation uh, versus what's the function of the PEC? You know, it's helping stabilize the humerus and the sternum, like, and the clavicle. Like, what does that look like? How do we train that? How's the, how's the PEC integrates to the whole upper extremity as a whole? Um, so, yeah, like you can go deeper into it, but I think it's a lot of people and therapists probably aren't thinking that. They're just thinking, like, what he said about, okay, tight PEC trigger point do a few circles trigger point you know yeah. stretch the twice a day it's not really ever addressing the function of the pec or the integration of the pec with the whole upper extremity scapula thoracic spine shoulder as a whole yeah that's man like, oh, it's like I don't know why I use shoulder as an example True.
0: yeah but, that's alright <laughs> man I, I remember the first physio I ever went to when I was like oh it was probably second physio but when I was I think 17 17-18 and I had um Yeah. Like I I just had a fair chunk of time off of Muay Thai. I hadn't been training for a while and then got back into it. And like my hip flexors were like, so, so weak and just so shortened. And I I was getting heaps of chronic pain. And this is like, I guess like the, the, the classic physio, um, where you'd go there and all he would do was, um, chuck on the tense machine and yeah, jump <laughs> on the tense machine and no, no, first he'd put some needles in and he'd be like, he'll be like, I'll be right back. And he'd leave the room for like 10, 15 minutes, go treat five, six other people. Then he'd come back in, put the tense machine on, leave the room, come back in 15 minutes. And then he'd be like, oh yeah, like just do a little bit of couch stretching at home, blah, blah, blah. And then you've got to come back in like three days. And man, he milked me for so long. Cause when I was like 17, I had fucking no idea. What I was doing, I had no idea what he was doing. I was like, Oh, yeah, he's like, he's a physio, he knows what he's doing, and just ridiculous. You start to wonder is it like, are they literally
1: are they aware of what they're doing and they're trying to milk you, or are they literally like, just
2: not like, is it is that well, their learn like, the practice and that's all they know? Well, that's what
0: I think, yeah. I, I think that's that's all he knew, but then also, I guess, like, the business model model was set up to like just run like five people per therapist at a well, the
1: time in that example the model pretty much
3: gives you the answer if it's not even one to one like it's similar to whatever
0: yeah and it was like it was still like 90 bucks for like 30 minutes or whatever like I was only in there for about 30-40 minutes and yeah it was 90 dollars $90. there so, are still some
2: around here that do that
0: yeah yeah
1: a lot of, a lot of clinics still do that where it's like they'll run like I can't 15 minutes but it's like 3 people at a time and they bounce between rooms like they crack you leave you there and then go to the other person and they come back in and it's like you're getting a 15 minute appointment but you only get three to five minutes of care and usually the three to five minutes is a crack and a quick stretch and come back and then it's like three people paying 60 bucks each for 15 minutes and they're making the bank.
0: Mm-hmm. It's crazy. It's crazy.
2: That's not, yeah, not really ethical, is it?
0: Nah, super not. Um, shit, we're at like what, an hour, hour 15. Um, I guess like to start wrapping things up, do you have any sort of big takeaways for people listening um, right now who are like I guess people who, who train actively who have had injuries or currently have an injury and aren't really progressing what would your key takeaways be for them or, or, or key, key t- tasks that they can start implementing to speed up their recovery process
1: um, I think the main thing is there's always something you can do and there's somewhere you can start so Um, The two main things is find a range of motion that is tolerable and find a a intensity or load that's tolerable. There's always something you can do. You just got to play around with it and find where your kind of set point is. So if you've got an injury or you're coming back, um, you know, it's never too small to start somewhere. Like just build up from a baseline and, you know, make sure you're working with a coach or a therapist that's also promoting um, an active outcome. Like there's no issues with passive interventions. but. Just make sure that if you're working with someone, that they are someone who's going to promote that approach and they're not telling you you can't do everything and stop training and all that. If they say that, run the other way. (laughs) Um, And yeah, when it comes to the gyms opening again and getting back into it, take it easy and just ease into it.
2: Yeah.
0: Sound advice. Yeah. We see that like we're very, very big on whenever we get someone. I I can't believe I haven't even really spoke about that throughout this. Um, when you get a a therapist who says like, just rest do nothing and you need to stop doing it, stop doing it. Like, like a good example would be like a field-based athlete, like a footballer. And they're told to say they've done, I don't know, chuck in any injury really. And then they're told not to do anything. They don't do any rehab. The injury subsides or at least the pain subsides. And then they get back into sport and either, either redo the injury or the injury never really went. Their pain just subsided. Um, yeah, like we, we, we've we've had we've had heaps of heaps of allied health providers say that, and we we just like, to person, All right, go go see this person instead.
3: Yeah, what's
1: weird is like, they're a hamstring, and you do nothing for four weeks. It doesn't mean the hamstring magically got better. If anything, the hamstring is actually weaker than before. You even t- to exactly. It you think about like baselines and stuff. It's like this is the hamstrings level of tolerance before you injured it, you injured it. Now you've got four weeks of not training plus an injury. It's like the tolerance has actually gone backwards during the period of rest, which means this is where you were before and you got injured. Then you've waited four weeks and now you've gone back to training. Now this is where you are. So technically your risk of injury is even higher than before you even injured yourself,
0: which means like you're in a worse position before you started. So like yeah, hundred percent.
1: So it's weird. Like it's like, weird ideology of like just rest it and then go back it's like well rest is actually rest is a form of detraining if you're not if you're not like you're always adapting you're either adapting positively or you're adapting negatively there's no no adaptation means you're dead so like it's the easiest way to explain it so yeah I think 100% it's like pretty uh, naive to do an injury rest it and then magically like just expect it to get better Um, so yeah always actively working towards increasing tolerances increasing range of motion and just baby steps and working with someone who knows
0: it love it um, we also generally finish by sort of going over podcasts or anything yeah. what have you
2: been listening to yeah. what do you recommend
0: doesn't have to be exercise or training related could be could be anything could be like, harry potter
2: a lot of our a lot of our um members are into true crime podcasts so they don't listen to anything else other than that so can be anything what are you listening to
1: uh, I'm not listening to it, but I really recommend Ozark on Netflix. Oh yeah, i
2: yeah, have actually been told that. I've been, I
0: yeah, I've had so many people tell me to watch that. I've heard the first yeah. season's quite slow, I think that's oh, why I've... yeah, horrible. Yeah. I
1: had to, my girlfriend had to strap me down and... Oh, it sounded really bad. <laughs> 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 she got the tissues out. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so, uh, first season's really slow, but... Um, yeah, second and third's real good. I'm watching the finale tonight after this, so uh, yeah,
0: it's pretty, it's pretty juicy. Is it and is it season finale or is it like like it's pr- all done now? Is it just like whatever season?
1: Nah, just that season. Yeah. Okay, cool. Uh, otherwise, on a serious note, uh, Atomic Habits, real good book. Yep. That's uh, of what I'm listening to right now, and um, in terms of learning, yeah, spending a bit of time learning. Not even just for coaches, I'd say for general population too. Everyone can get a lot of benefit from a health perspective out of um, Stop Chasing Pain. His membership website. Um, I'm not endorsed by this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure, um, sure. You know, sure. I'm, I'm good value on there, which I've um, actually started to give out to some of my like clinical patients of just general health hacks um, to help with people. So yeah, audio audio books. I listen to um, Atomic Habits, which is cool. Um, stop chasing pain if you want some brain games about health and if you want some downtime, the Ozarks
0: on Netflix. Yeah, sweet. Fantastic. So
2: tell everybody where they can find you, what your socials are, how they can follow you on your social media presence. Yeah,
1: cool. So, uh, main one would be through Instagram. So, Instagram is uh, Dr. Daniel Kirkbride. So, dr.daniel.kirkbride. Um, same with Facebook uh and then the website's the same as well so it's www.myname.com um so yeah if you have any interests um in yeah, education
3: if you're a coach or if you're a um a human of some sort who needs
0: help, <laughs> a human of some sort yeah. <laughs> i don't know there's, there's a few creatures out there not quite human yeah a couple of those going around so yeah if you um yeah
1: reach out
2: and we'll chuck all your um, details on our.
0: In the show, yeah, here. we'll chuck it all on the show notes anyway. What have um, what have you been? What's that? Yeah, I
2: can't sell myself. Post it on. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll
0: sell you. What have you been listening to?
2: Um. Well, I was looking for stuff that um to prepare for this.
3: And failed miserably. Yeah. Did
2: I did listen to a little bit, but like at the last minute. Um, prior to that, I've. Um been rekindling my love affair with californication on uh Stan, so that's also good. So good. So good. Um The only thing I've really listened to on podcasts is that insulation still. Uh it's pretty lighthearted, it just it's um just makes me laugh while I'm going for a walk. It's nothing to do with fitness or any of that related. And that's about it, really.
0: Yeah, nice.
2: I started watching a weird one. It's like, I think it's number one on Netflix at the moment last night. I got like a few minutes into it. it didn't last too long. Um, <laughs> <laughs> How can you recommend something that you watch for a few minutes? <laughs> oh, for, for other reasons.
0: Um, but um, it's like 50 shades of grey, but apparently it's like darker. So it kind of was, then I uh, turned it off. <laughs>
3: what is it called?
0: I can't remember. <laughs> I can't remember. It's like, if you jump on Netflix, it's like number one or number two, but it's like about this guy who like kidnaps this girl. Basically, it turns into Fifty Shades of Grey. Um, yeah. He like kid, full, full kidnaps her.
2: Oh, you're talking about, um, that's been around for ages, right?
0: No, it's just, just got released on Netflix the other day. Let me get this
1: straight, Greg. You
3: want, <laughs> <laughs> I only lasted a few minutes?
1: <laughs> didn't
0: last long. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And then I've, I've listened to, um, uh, <laughs> stop it, Tony. <laughs> Sorry, go,
2: go. I listened
0: to, um, Marvin Culture's, uh, most recent one today with Luke Tollick. Have you listened to that one? No. No, it's good. It was real good. Um, Luke Tollick's just a cool cat, smart man, just talks about fucking everything. The guy's learning, like, he wants to learn how, he wants to do a carpentry course. <laughs> Just because he likes learning shit. So um, I found that really interesting because he talks about like his neuroscience sort of stuff and um, improving how to learn, <laughs> like different ways of learning and how he recommends people lo- to learn best. And have a guy like Luke with, you know, a neuroscience degree, a pretty well-established strength coach. And, um, you know, he's got all of his online courses. Have you done his online stuff? No, I
1: was, um, I was looking at it because I'm kind of keen to... Um going more time just on the, the health stuff so yeah he, he came across my mind i was just like kind of teeing up between doing some stuff with him or um some stuff with ben carlis as well yeah um, yeah
0: yeah or
1: brainy dudes when it comes to the physiology side of
2: things but yeah
0: yeah, yeah. Just try to e- either one of them would be spot on did you find it no nah. i just tried to google it i don't I know. know there's I'll, nothing
2: about what craig just said maybe i was maybe reference. i was just watching porn i don't
0: know <laughs> had up porn hub instead i'll i'll find it and i'll add it in the show notes people might get a, a, a unpleasant surprise who is know? it a show or is no, it it's a, a, show. Movie. Or a movie it's a movie
2: okay maybe that's why i didn't find it i don't know it was it was our souls at night is that what it's called Nah. no
0: nah? nah. i don't know oh no this is i don't know it was <laughs> it's kind of it was all right i don't know
2: <laughs> <laughs> it was so good you watching it and i for a couple of minutes oh i wasn't watching it by myself <laughs>
0: There we go. Penny, penny drops.
2: <laughs> he needed the tissues is what he's saying.
0: Tony, Jesus Christ.
2: <laughs> Pretty sure he would have got it if he said that. Let's <laughs> bring it this. <laughs> like right now? It's not marriage story. No. I don't nah, know. You won't. No idea. I don't, even, I don't even know
0: what it's called. So even if you told me, I wouldn't know. Um, yeah. I don't know. A- anything else?
2: No, that's what,
0: that's all we need to talk about. I think. Cool. Thanks for joining us, Dan.
2: Nice to talk to you. Hopefully next time we can um, do it all in one room.
0: What we'll do, we'll hopefully we'll do it do it all in one room. Come on, Tony. <laughs> I did not. You <laughs> took it. You took Jesus it. Jesus Christ. All right. Well, what we'll do is we'll um we'll we'll, we'll sign off and uh, but you stay on the Zoom call and we'll we'll have a quick chat once we've uh, gone off air. Um, so guys, if you're, those of you listening and have made it this far through, we like an almost an hour and a half, um, which is a marathon. It's probably the biggest one we've done yet, isn't it?
2: I'm pretty sure. Pretty
0: sure. So make sure you, um, share this one around. Um, we think it's a pretty good one, pretty relevant and powerful. I feel like everyone in the training community has gone through injuries and rehabilitation process and, um, yeah. So I feel like there's a lot of knowledge here that can be taken. can help people improve their road back to recovery and performance cool
2: yeah thanks Dan